everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. I'm your host, Crypto Texan. And today on the show, we have Yinwen Feng, who is the co-founder of Perpetual Protocol. Yinwen, it's great to have you here. How's everything going? Yeah, it's nice to be here. Everything's going well. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you, especially being a constituent of the GMI index that we have, or the Bankless DeFi Innovation Index. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get started with Yunwen. Let's talk about you, uh, your background, and how did you get started in crypto and DeFi? Sure. Um, so I'm one of the co-founder of Perpetual Protocol. We started working on Perpetual Protocol in 2020. Before that, I'm being like, uh, I actually have my own startup like since like around like 20 years ago, pretty long time ago. I mean, like I've been working on like different projects. I mean, like, uh, like game, like, uh, like, like, uh, fintech projects. Um, the, I mean, my co-founder and I was still in like crypto rabbit hole in 2017. At that time, I mean, like ICO, like booming and also crypto kitty. That's really interesting. But uh, after we dig in more, we actually found that, uh, you know, trying to build, uh, you know, a financial instrument on top of crypto is really exciting to us. And uh, we actually, I think in 2018, we worked on an option, decentralized option protocol at that time, even if, you know, there's nobody called like the, the whole decentralized finance DeFi yet. Quickly, I mean, like, uh, so we worked on that for a while, but uh, it actually failed uh, because market crash. And in, in the end, we, we joined like Binance. They have an incubation at that time. So we joined that Binance app incubator skill, you know, want to scale in crypto for a while and uh, working on different projects. And then, to, like I said, 2020, we actually see Uniswap and Sinsaki that's actually doing pretty well. And so, you know, like the whole AM idea, I think that's really interesting. I mean, when I first I see Uniswap's white paper, I don't really think this is a new thing. But in the end, it actually got the traction. And then I kind of understand like why people want to use AM. So, yeah. So, and then we just like go ahead and then want to, I mean, build AM on top of uh, perpetual swap and other financial instruments. We launched Perpetual Protocol in the end of 2020, and I think the results so far are really good. I think we did like around like 36 billion trading volume last year, which is really amazing. I mean, consider that this is actually our first project, and we actually uh, have a new like a V2 query, uh, we call it query, uh, that the new like construction of virtual AM that actually uh, we launched it last December. So, you know, uh, it's, it's a total new design that's built on top of Uniswap V3. So, you know, it's really capital efficiency efficient and uh, I think it's really cool. So, yeah, please, if you are interested in like perpetual trading, please, I mean, like give you a try or take a look. Yeah, and I think it might be a good idea too, just for our listeners, if maybe you could back up a little bit and maybe explain, you know, what is perpetual trading? 
And how does that compare to, I guess, just, you know, regular spot trading of, you know, like the self-custody assets on AMMs? Perpetual swap is, I mean, like financial instrument that trade a lot on central exchange. It actually gets started by BMAX in 2016. So uh, this, so this uh, perpetual swap is actually, it's a type of futures. So, I mean, like, uh, so, you know, buyer and seller, you know, they, they kind of like um, agree on a future price. And then they, when the time comes, they will settle based on that strike price. And perpetual swap is actually an upgrade to this. So traditional futures, you have, I mean, expiring day. So, for example, people have in like uh, weekly or quarterly or monthly futures. So they, they are kind of like several market and then they will, it, the futures will expire, but perpetual swap, it will not expire. It's just, um, it kind of like a future that expires every day. So every day there is a funding payment try to offset. I mean, the difference between the strike price and also your price. And at this time, the strike price we are using is just market price. That's just like briefly how it works. It's a little bit hard to really like, uh, you know, like explain this, but uh, once you trade, you probably get the idea. So why you want to, uh, I mean, trade using perpetual swap? I mean, one of the big reason is um, you want to get leverage. So because it's a future, so you can actually leverage up. We are not really trading the underlying asset like uh, spot trading like Uniswap. So we actually create this like new concept called virtual AM that we put at virtual. So every time you want to trade perpetual swap, we actually create a virtual token that drop, I mean, like a deposit in Uniswap contract. So you can actually have leverage, like you can put in like a hundred USDC as a collateral and then you want to leverage up to like five bats. Then we actually mint 500 USDC. I mean, virtual USDC, and then put that into Uniswap, and then you can trade. I think that's how it works. And then, um, yeah, the main reason is that you want to get leverage, you want to show uh, an asset. Perpetual swap is probably the most efficient way that you can get leverage. Okay, and what type of assets currently are available to trade on the Perpetual Protocol through the VAMM? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have around like uh, 11 assets. All of them are tokens. So we have BTC, we have ETH market, we have Avalanche, we have Solana market. So, you know, just like the, the asset that people trade the most. So right now we have kind of like listing process like Compound or Aave. So people will, I mean, people vote, but we are actually changing to sub-DAO structure. So people vote for Another set of delegator, they actually, I mean, recommend the market. So we actually keep adding more market per week. Yeah. So, I mean, like in general, just like trading, I mean, like the popular tokens is the thing, it's our current goal. So you can trade most of the popular tokens. Okay. And I'm not as familiar with the concept of a virtual automated market maker. And I know you mentioned Uniswap in there too. So is this similar mm-hmm. to, I guess, like an Ethereum virtual machine, but you're it's almost like a, a Uniswap virtual machine that you're utilizing inside the perpetual protocol 
protocol. And is that kind of what it is? Or can you get into a little bit more detail about how all of that works? We are not really working on virtual machine. We actually build on top of Uniswap. So if you want to trade on Uniswap, like I want to swap USDC, I mean, with ETH. So I have to prepare ETH token first. Of course, that's how Uniswap works. But if you look at perpetual swap, there is actually no underlying. People are just kind of like bad against future price of that market. So we've actually figured out a way that we deposit. So every time a trader wants to either, I mean, like long or short a position, we mint virtual token. We use those virtual token. Those virtual token are ERC20 token. We can actually deposit those virtual token into Uniswap and then swap it out. For example, if I want to swap USDC with ETH, I will deposit virtual ETH into the AM and then get the virtual USDC out. So, you know, the virtual USDC is the trader's position. So that's actually how it works. I mean, on in perpetual protocol. Okay, so it's more about just the composability. Uh, so, so you're you are building on top of Uniswap v2 right now, correct? Actually, v3. Oh, v3. Okay, interesting. And is that with version two? Are y'all in version two right now of the protocol? Yes. Okay. We are. And that that just launched pretty recently too, as well, didn't it? Yes. So you launched like the end of last year. Okay. Yeah. So let's just walk through just an example. And so let's say, you know, I want to make a bet that the price of Ethereum at the end of this month is going to be above 3000 USDC. What process would I go through in order to make that long bet against Ethereum? It's actually just a Uniswap. So you have to go to our website. I mean, okay, the first option is, you know, go to our website. So you can launch the app. And then in the app, you, I mean, for example, you want to use perpetual swap. So you, because you want to have leverage. So for example, you want to, I mean, like have like a 2x leverage. So you can actually deposit 100 USDC into our protocol. And then you can trade us, you have 200 USDC. On the UI, it's actually just like, it's a little bit like a central exchange. I, I think it's between like Uniswap and central exchange. It's more like one inch right now. So, I mean, like you can just like uh, go to a market you want to trade. For example, ETH market, and then you want to like uh, get a long position, you just enter like, you know, I, I'm going to trade with like 200 USDC, get a long position. And then once um, so, uh, ETH is like 2500 right now, and, uh, you know, you can just like go long, and then you probably get like maybe like um, 0.1, like, like ETH position once you enter the trade. And then you can, you know, keep it for a while. Once ETH go up to like 3000, I mean, like uh, USDC, then you can actually sell your position and then you got profit. So it just, I mean, trading wise, it's just like trading on Uniswap or on other central exchange. But underlying, you know, it's more complicated. You know, there is virtually and there's a lot of like different things. Okay. And what, what type of leverage can you take on, on perpetual protocol? Is the, is there a limit and who decides, is that hard coded into the protocol or does governance decide what how how leverage is determined in the protocol 
What are those limitations and how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it's actually capped at 10x right now. So per, for like 100 USDC you put in, you can only trade us like a thousand USDC. It's not hot coded in the contract. It can be up, I mean, updated to the governance. We actually have a vote like last year. Not really a vote, just a signal that uh, we want to actually increase that to 20x. But the community doesn't want, so we just keep it as 10x. Interesting. Why do you? Why would you feel like the community doesn't want to increase beyond 10x for leverage governor right now? Yeah, because I mean, people feel that. Uh, I mean, I think normally most of the, I mean, even professional traders, they don't trade like over 10x. So, I mean, they. I mean, most of the community leader, they feel that if we want to increase that, they, you know, they will be just like more retail direct. So, you know, it's actually better to keep it like 10x. So that, you know, we kind of accept that concern. So just keep it at 10x. Okay. That makes sense. So maybe more of like a, the reputation of perpetual protocol is the reason why the community doesn't want to increase that, that leverage governor, you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so where is this protocol located? Are y'all Ethereum-based right now? Yes, we are Ethereum-based, but we are on the layer two, so we are Optimism right now. Oh, you're on Optimism? I thought, okay, so I was reading that it was on, uh, are you on XDAI or you were on XDAI at one point in time, correct? Oh, yeah, so our V1 is on XDAI. And then for the V2, we actually built it on top of Optimism. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit because I feel like that could be an interesting conversation. So for V1, why did why did you choose to deploy onto XDAI versus, I don't know, like a, another side chain or even Ethereum mainnet also? Yeah, that's a good question. So V1 is actually deployed in... The end of 2020. We actually, I mean, uh, so let me, I think that September, so like September 2020, we actually had, I mean, we can launch the project. We actually want to launch a project, but because, you know, there are a lot of EO farming at that time, I think that's DeFi summer. So, you know, the gas fee is actually pretty high. I mean, like people are used to like, a, you know, 100 E gas fee nowadays, but uh, at that time it's just really high. So you place a trade, it costs you like 100 USDC or, I mean, or even more. So we don't think that's, uh, that's actually a good UX. So we actually don't launch it at that time. We pull it back and then we start looking for like layer two solutions. At that time, actually, there are only like uh, two solutions that, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, viable solution to us to us one is sky the other is magic so sky they have been running for a long time so it's a poa chain so they have a faster time so that's a little bit better and uh for magic is when we work with them at that time they actually just upgrade to I mean, the, 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 the POS architecture that they have right now. So it's picking you, it's really striking. I mean, they have some really interesting technology. 
at that time. But in the end, I think our engineers are more familiar with the sky and uh, it's been running for much longer time. So we decided that we should deploy on a sky. And uh, we work on like uh, porting everything like from mainnet to sky, adding a bridge and adding some integration. So yeah, so that's the reason behind that uh, we want to actually, I mean, use a sky and uh, instead of mainnet. Uh, one thing I want to add is if you look at from where we are right now, building on sky actually gives us a lot of advantage because the fee is much lower than East Mainnet. We actually cover the fees. They are actually much better UX. And also because the fee is much less. I mean, the, the traders or the, or like program traders, they can actually submit a, a lot of orders to compete on the price. So that actually increase our trading volume a lot. So I think that's, uh, just something we observe, like, um, you know, like working on SDI. Yeah, I just, it's so interesting because I just don't hear about a lot of, you know, protocols or projects that deployed on XDAI. Because, I mean, I remember like back in, I think it was like mid-2019 is like when XDAI like really came on my radar and I thought it was really interesting, but I just didn't see a whole lot of teams deploying on it. And I guess it just took, like, as y'all said, y'all did it like in 2020 when you know, Gway on mainnet would get up to like 500 to like 750 some days and it was just insane. So <laughs> I can see how that that's interesting that that puts you at a competitive advantage uh, probably. And, but now with V2, uh, you're on optimism, correct? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so now I'm interested, you know, why did you choose optimism instead of deploying on XDI again? And I don't know, like, why did you choose optimism over maybe like, Arbitrum or the, the Polygon POS chain as well? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing is that the, our V2, I mean, because we built on top of Uniswap V3, so we can only deploy on the, on the place that has Uniswap V3. At the time, we, I mean, like working on, the, I mean, a V2, it's actually last, uh, last May, last July at that time frame. Uniswap only deploy on mainnet, Optimism, and also Arbitrum. So that's the three places that we can go. And uh, we don't want to deploy on mainnet because of gas that uh, I mentioned. So the only two places that we can, I mean, we can go is Optimism and Arbitrum. In the beginning, we actually want to, uh, because Optimism, in the beginning, they have this whitelist. So if the whitelist projects that go, you know, can go on Optimism, yeah, and also the second thing, they have a lower like uh, gas for the contract. So per, I mean like per contract, you actually have a gas limit. So kind of like how long can the smart contract be? And then we actually, and then the the limit is actually lower than the mainnet. So we have to kind of like update our our smart contract to, I mean to fit that uh, limit. So it's a little bit harder for us. So because of this reason, we want to go on like Arbitron first. So we actually work on work with Arbitron team. We deploy on Arbitron. We launched a testnet training competition on Arbitron, which is actually doing really well. We got like uh three, I mean two or three thousand like trade. I mean traders coming in. I mean trades, and then I mean like uh, just get a sense of how our V two looks like. 
Um, it, it actually went well, but uh, in the last day, because you know, like there are more and more people coming in, we actually, I think that not, not we, I mean, like the the gas price of Arbitron actually goes up a lot. So we, uh, I mean, it's not what we expected because um, you know maybe a southern user is not really that much like traffic. So we go back, we talk to a team, and then found that they actually have a gas limit per maybe ten, 10 or. 15 minutes that uh, once you know you have like many transactions that more than that limit the gas price actually goes up i mean just like it's meant that i think that's a protection system that uh, of course i totally understand but you know uh, I, I mentioned that in sky i mean having more transactions having less fees that people can trade more is actually the key to our growth so we really need to have a higher cap Arbitron, they, I mean, because it's just like V1, they launched, they are actually working on Nitro, which is a V2, probably launched like uh, maybe, I mean, Q2 this year. But because, I mean, like, uh, we just want to deploy, we don't want to wait like for another, maybe like half year. So we decide that, um, anyway, we go for like Arbitron. Arbitron at that time actually changed a lot of things. They launched their OVM V2. They don't have plugins. They, it's actually 100%, I mean, EVM equivalent to get clients. So you don't need to change anything. So the porting is really fast. And then we give it a try. We, we, we make sure that uh, we can have as many transactions as we want. And then it passed. So in the end, we launch on Arbitron. Long story. <laughs> oh no, yeah, that's it's really interesting though. And you know, you mentioned that you were in the you know you, you were in the Binance incubator when you were starting up uh, Perpetual Protocol. Did you ever look to Binance Smart Chain, or did, did you ever feel any pressure from the the BSC developers or community to deploy there? I mean, I know obviously like Uniswap V three isn't deployed there, but even for uh, version one, uh, maybe like mm-hmm. what what is it like? It's pancake. Pancake swap is what they have over there. Yeah. Uh, you could have built on top of that possibly. Did you ever feel any pressure from them or, or why didn't you choose BSC at all? It's, it, it's going to be recorded, right? <laughs> uh, yes, this is being recorded, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, like, uh, definitely, definitely they ask. I mean, like, uh, they want their projects, I mean, like, uh, to be on BSC. I mean, you know, like, um, you know, Asians, you know, like, you know, like Chinese, like Taiwanese, you know, we are more like, uh, you know, we, I mean, it's very different from Western. We've, you know, we, lots of times, like, people feel that we should do things together. I, I don't know if you get a sense, but, uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, of course they ask. Um, at that time, actually, that's an interesting, I mean, thing. I mean, we actually have a lot of debate internally. I mean, like, at first, I don't want to do that. I mean, I think that, I mean, ETH is still very strong. But BSC actually have a really great run at the beginning of last year. So it got so many attentions. And then I kind of feel that I made a wrong decision. And uh, But uh, at the time, we, you know, just launched our projects. There are a lot of things that uh, we actually try to figure out. There are things that we, you know, we think it works, but it actually doesn't work that well. So we are just busy fixing like things so we don't have time to deploy. 
actually after I mean, so we may set opportunities and but uh, to be honest, like uh, if we look at that right now, it's actually okay because I mean BSC is doing really well, but I think it's more on the you know like NFT or like gaming game five part. So there are like several games that like uh, become really huge on BSC, but on B5 is actually not so well. So I do feel that you know different change. I mean, I mean the, the community of you know Solana community of East Man, they all have different needs. You know, they they get together because of dif- different goals. So you know, I think for D5 probably it's still better to stay with the East ecosystem. Yeah. That's uh, that's yeah, that's just something I would say. Yeah, so like ETH or you know, like or the layer two, like Arbitron. You know, I, I think like after Nitro, we definitely want to give you a try. I think that would be a good place to play. Or like Arbitron, that uh, you know, like the, the trend we are on. So yeah, that's just why why I think. Yeah, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but yeah, I mean, uh, when I interviewed Leo Chang over at Cream we kind of talked about that as well. Like what are the differences that you see between, you know, the, the Western and the Eastern, I guess, crypto or Asian crypto culture. And you kind of touched on them a little bit, but like what what other things kind of stick out in your mind, right? Because, you know, me, I live in Texas and, you know, 99% of the people I follow on Twitter are, you know, Western, you know, crypto people and it, it might be a little bit different for you since obviously since you live in taipei but what, i mean like just from a cultural standpoint like what other differences do you see between those those two uh, crypto cultures i guess yeah that's a that's a good question i would say asian culture is more top down and you know like west i mean like um and then like, like western culture is more bottom up so what I mean by that is that uh, if you look at a central change, most of the central change are from China. They did a really great job on that. You know, like uh, you know, like CZ, they you know launched a you know launched a project in like two thousand I mean two thousand eighteen, and then actually actually two thousand seventeen. Sorry, and then he actually just push it push it. I mean, like you know, like they, they worked so hard. You know, they. You know, like quite a lot of users. That's actually, I think, quite Asian. I mean, good at. So it's just a like, top down. You know, one people like uh, you know, like run the projects, and then they just like have everyone like uh, you know, like work on their things. And then I think that's um, that's why most of the central change are actually built by Chinese. But if we look at DeFi, they are not. You know, like many. I mean, DeFi projects actually coming out from Asia. Of course, you we have like like you know like Luna, we have like Terra that's doing really really well. That's uh you know that's actually a part of Asia. But uh, you know after that, uh, you just get a render. You have like Ben Protocol. You have of course you have Perpetual. You have Cream. But you know like if you look at like, China, you know there's not many like DeFi projects. They should because they are. You know, at the time they control like over fifty percent of Bitcoin. They are so crypto native, right? But uh, it's not the case. I do feel that it's just a cultural difference. If we, you know, building a DeFi project like you guys, you guys run an awesome like community. You have to do 
you know, you have to talk to people, you know, build a community. I mean, like, uh, you know, like learning what the community wants and then, you know, like build that projects. You know, like, I'm not saying that you know, we are good at this, but at least we, we tried. I mean, like, uh, but uh, I think in Asia in general, you know, we are not really good at this. So it's more, yeah, it's more kind of like a cultural difference, I think. So that's that's really interesting. Do you feel like, in a sense, you're kind of building against the grain of, of the culture in which you live by building this decentralized uh, perpetual protocol? I actually, I mean, like Taiwan is a little bit different. I mean, I'm from Taiwan, so you know, we are, you know, compared to of course, like China, we are more democratized or like Singapore. So I think that uh, we are more open to ideas. So I mean, at least, at least personally, I, I think that uh, we we have a um, we just have more. I mean, like uh, I mean, room to 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 take. I mean, like to it's just like you know, even it's like bigger Asia. I mean, they are still like uh, regional defense. I think you know, at a place like if we are more open. So I think that's one of the reasons that uh, we, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I don't really feel so, I mean, I want to, you know, you know, it never occurred to me I want to build a centralized change. That's it. I mean, like, uh, I, you know, I just want to, you know, build with the community. I want to run the community. I want to, you know, be decentralized. I do feel that maybe because, you know, the place I, I grew up, I don't know, maybe because I actually, you know, I, I learned a lot from like US, like, you know, entrepreneurship or scops. I, I go to US a lot, maybe because of that. But yeah, that's just, you know, like something I would say. So you chat with Leo. He is actually, he, he was born in, he, he was actually born in Taiwan, but he moved to the US for a long time. So I do feel that that's actually benefit from, uh, I mean, like for his journey that, uh, you know, trying to build the, decentralized project yeah okay yeah that's really interesting yeah we got a little bit <laughs> off topic there but the, yeah this is just a really fascinating conversation because i always wonder you know it's like in the mm-hmm. in the u.s you know i we listen to the bankless podcast a lot right and we've got david and ryan yeah. in the u.s but i always wonder like who's the david and ryan of asia Right. Is there a bankless type podcast out there? I always wonder those things. You know, I just feel like there's there could be this entire other crypto world that the Western crypto mm-hmm. Twitter sphere just doesn't get exposed to. So it, it's always interesting to kind of dig in on that a little bit. But yeah, let's get back into uh, perpetual protocol. <laughs> Another question that we have in a question that we ask, you know, all of our guests uh, about their protocol is how does the protocol make money? You know, what are the revenue drivers of perpetual protocol that drive, I guess, funds into the treasury? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are the DEX. So we charge a fees when you change. So the fees actually, I mean, like right now, all the fees go to insurance fund. We have a token called PERP that's actually using GMI, but you can stake that token and uh, we're still working on the detail because we want to update the tokenomic a little bit but in general that uh, we want the stakers control the revenue so either they want to distribute that or they want to put that into the insurance fund and then become more like the, the protocol controlled value that's also fine so yeah 
but uh, uh, in general, I mean, like we got the fees. So the fees goes to, I mean, uh, a vote that uh, controlled by the staker. And what other benefits do you get for staking in the protocol? Yeah, how how does staking work? So staking, we have a uh, inflation. So if you stake, uh, you can earn. Of course, you can earn more per token. That's one thing. The second thing is that, uh, like I said, we actually want to distribute the revenue, the fees to the stakers. I mean, of course, we need to get the consensus of all the stakers, launch a vote or anything. Or, like I said, maybe they want to, I mean, uh, have something that uh, within a protocol become the protocol control value and then deploy other other where. But uh, in general, it's just like uh, we want to distribute that value to the staker. Okay. And are fees being distributed right now to PERP stakers? No, not yet. So it's still like in the insurance fund. Like I said, we actually want to update the tokenomic a little bit. And, you know, maybe like uh, after we update that, we can launch a vote and then scout, I mean, like distribute or like uh, putting into a vote or anything like that. Okay. What what all are you looking to change about the tokenomics? Is it just like the emissions rates or or can you can you not get into all of that? Is are you are we looking at like a VE perp token in the future? <laughs> there are actually lots of suggestions from the community and yes, a VE token model is definitely something we are looking at right now. Uh we are not going to change the emission rate. Maybe. I mean, like, at least for now, we are not going to do that. We have a reserve that we can use. But more, like I mentioned earlier, our staking model right now, we have this, I mean, like, uh, you know, a small problem of this is that the, the token holder is not really aligned with the traders or the liquidity providers on our platform. I mean, at the... Uh, because, I mean, you don't really need to have perp token to trade or have perp token to, I mean, in order to earn rewards by liquidity provision. I mean, it actually creates this difference. Um, some of the perp token are owned by investors. So we actually want to change that. We want to, I mean, just like um, create more alignment between, you know, the token holder and then the active participants on perpetual protocol. I think that's uh, that's the thing that we want to do. So V model definitely is one way to do this because once you lock longer, you actually earn small fees. So the liquidity provider or the traders, they might want to lock the token longer. So yeah. So that's that's the rec- direction we are heading to, but still I mean like still discussing way internally and also with the community about like uh, you know what's you know what's the option we have. Okay, yeah, and what type of parameters can be updated by governance voting in perpetual protocol? That's actually a good question. So right now it's uh we we don't have uh, you know a, kind of like a, a limit on that or a, a guide on on that because I mean previously we don't really I mean like. Of course, they are like, uh, like I said, you know, we want to update, like before we, there is one time we want to update the leverage. And then also like every time we launch a new market before we actually have launch a vote. But, uh, I think that for tokenomic is more like a bigger topic. So 
it's not only like updating the parameters, it will be like, uh, you know, a, a really like um, huge update. I mean, like most of the staking system. So it will be like um, not only updating the parameters. Am I answering your question? No, yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're answering it. Oh, yes, yeah, you yeah. are. Okay, go, go, go. And then uh, another question I meant to ask a, a little bit earlier, so I'll just go ahead and ask it now. You know, there, there's two other, I guess, parts of this protocol that, that make everything run smoothly. And that's the insurance fund that the protocol has mm-hmm. and then the, you know, the clearinghouse as well. So I'm wondering if you can just kind of go into a little bit of detail on what the insurance fund and the clearinghouse balances are and why they are important to how the perpetual protocol operates. Sure, that's a great question. And uh, okay, so for insurance fund, like I said, we actually put all the fees into insurance fund right now. Insurance fund is um, is a vote that uh, so we are. I mean, so for this like perpetual trading system, I mean, most of the perpetual system. If you look at a centralized exchange or decentralized ones, we all have insurance fund. It's because when the market becomes really volatile. So people taking leverage, but once the price move like um, very fast, the person might not have enough capital to cover that, and then we have to liquidate. But uh, the liquidate are not always in profit. Sometimes there are losses. I mean, when we liquidate that position, so we need to have an insurance fund to cover that. So that's why we set up that insurance fund. And uh, right now, uh, I think for V1, we have around like, uh, you know, 9 million uh, insurance fund. That's really huge. And for V2, we have maybe like uh, 600K still growing. So go is like uh, going as much as possible to cover its practical loss. That's one, uh, that's for insurance fund. And for the current house, it's kind of like a central component that we store it, we store all the collateral. So like you deposit 100 USDC, actually you go to the cleaning house. So if you look at the balance on our cleaning house, you can see that how much capital we have, I mean, from the trader. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a leverage system. So the capital is, I mean, I think on V1 is around 10 million, on V2 the 10 million as well. It's not a large, but the trading volume, because you can take leverage, so the trading volume is much higher than other places. You still have a lot of users utilizing the V1 version uh, of the protocol. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we actually, I slowly I migrate them. I mean, to V2. <laughs> but uh, you know, like uh, they they used to V1, and then we actually launched different market between V1 and V2. So it's just a little bit different. Okay. Okay. Um, so I guess what. This is a very unique protocol, and I, it's fascinating, and I love what y'all are doing. But and just wondering, like, what, what are who are some of your competitors, or what are some similar protocols to Perpetual Protocol in the space right now? And how is how does Perpetual Protocol differentiate itself from those uh, competitors? So we look at like uh, uh, I think like three different like uh, I mean like solutions that they want to like uh, take leverage. So the first, of course, centralized change. So we compete with like Binance, like FTX. They both have like perpetual contract as the product. You know, lots of people using their, I mean, their solution. I think, like for example, like Binance or FTX, they are probably like uh, trading like uh, 
50x more than us. So definitely one of our competitors. Compared to them, of course, you know, we are building a decentralized product. So it's, you know, trustless, it's permissionless. I think at that end, we, you know, it's a better solution. So they, uh, the second group is the DEX. There is actually DYDX. So DYDX is a uh, ogre book style. I mean, perpetual swap protocol. They operate stockware. Actually, they have their own chains. So kind of like, um, they own, they're true. It's a good book, so it's a little bit hard to be composable, especially they have they have their own chain. So it's really hard to build on top of it. I think that's uh, one of the disadvantages. But the uh, older book style exchange is, you know, it's just the same as central exchange. Traders are more familiar with older book style. I mean, exchange. Um, so I think that's just like uh, advantage and defect disadvantage going that route. And the, the third group is um, like um, more like margin chaining style, I mean like uh, projects. So for example, like GMX. So they, they build on Arbitron, they have their own like unique design, I think that's really cool. It kind of like uh, they try to maintain a portfolio that's actually the same as Trader's portfolio. It's more a little bit like margin checking, so you kind of like have a borrowing rate. And uh, but anyway, I think that it's just a different, you know, three different kind of like group of like competitors. And for us, we are, you know, like um, we want to be the first thing that we want to be more as composable as we can. So we build on top of Arbitron or like Arbitron that uh, we want to actually be composable with other projects. So I think that's one of the good things. And then DCNA model. So it's everything is more predictable. You know, you want to get a long or short position. I mean, uh, you know that there will be like a quick provider, you know, like putting their liquidity within that range. I mean, like um, it's, you don't really need to like take the look of the older book in order to figure out like uh, what's the best price for you, you know, like you, you just take market order maybe. But uh, I think that uh, that's the advantage of a Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, I think that's it. So let's talk a little bit about just the multi-chain in general. And, you know, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about the the different layer one chains and this doesn't have to be like specific to perpetual protocol, just really like your thoughts in general. Uh, all the different layer ones, how do you feel like they compare to Ethereum? Do you feel like there is going to be a multi-chain future with this technology? And where do you feel like L2s tie in? So really, I guess what I'm asking is just like your thoughts on the, multi- the, the multi-chain future and mm-hmm. uh, scalability in general as well? Yeah, great question. Yeah, let's maybe talk about layer one first. I, yeah, I believe there will be, it will be a market trend war in the future. Um, actually, like right now, so we have ETH, we have Solana, we have uh, Terra, we have lots of like layer one chain. Uh, I mean, like, oh, they are doing really well. I personally, I, I do think one of the chain, I mean, one of these chains will take over like sixty percent of the market share. It's still a winner, not take all winner, take most market, and I believe ETH will be that one. So that's just 
uh, what I think. But still, I mean, like we mentioned this earlier, that I, I think each of the chain have their own community, their own like um, target. Like just like for example, BSC, they attract more Gen Five projects there because I think just because of the community that's more retail. I mean, they they want to you know like um, you know like maybe like play to earn or something like that. And then Solana is more hardcore. I mean, community they they want to trade so. Different community will go, f- I mean, different layer one will go for like a niche market that I, you know, like maybe gaming, maybe NFT, maybe DeFi in the future. So, yeah, I would say if scale dominating the market the most, but of course, other layer one will dominate each niche, maybe game, maybe DeFi. So that's why I think for layer one and for layer two, is is I think uh, the goal of the foundation is just you know have the layer do the transactions and then layer ones used for settlement. I believe there will be like one for layer twos. I do feel that there will be like one chain winning all. So one chain maybe like take like seventy eighty percent of the market, and then the rest doesn't really have that much of volume. I don't know like which one, maybe Arbitron, maybe Arbitron because it's still early, or maybe ZK Sync. Kenanch wise, uh, ZK Sync sounds like very advanced, but uh, actually most of the Arbitron roll up, like Arbitron or Arbitron, they can also upgrade to a ZK, I mean, proof later. So it actually makes no difference. Yeah, so that's just why I think, I think they. <laughs> Is still dominating and still uh, is mass modest, I think. So you feel like a single layer one is going to take over 60% of the market share and then from an L2 state? Around there. Around, maybe 50, 60, around there. 50, but 60. it's not like, oh, yeah, but it's not like 80 or 90 like it's right now. I think it still have like 80% of the, of the KBL. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think it does have like mm-hmm. about 80 Eighty ninety percent of like the the smart mm-hmm. contract layer or the smart contract mm-hmm. TVL. I, th- I think you're right there. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you said, but did you say like seventy? It to would 80, go down. 70, yeah. seventy to eighty Maybe on like, the layer two side. You said. Oh yeah. So I would say yeah. They, on layer two, there will be like one chain dominate. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's. I don't think that's a, a theory that we that we've heard a whole lot either. I just. You know, I, how do you think? I mean, like, how do you think? I mean, like, do you think that there will be like one chain like dominating, like I said, or do you think there will be like uh, equally? I mean, like shares for all the day one chain. No, I think I I think similar to what you said is you know I, I subscribe to the theory that Ethereum will be the global settlement layer for the majority, the strong majority of DeFi applications, right? Because when you're dealing with cool. a lot of people's you know, when you're dealing with large amounts of money and net worth and value, you want to be on the most decentralized and secure chain possible. You know, regardless if it doesn't, right, the layer one's not going to scale as much. But that's okay because you're sacrificing that scalability for security. And I think that's that's why Ethereum went out on the DeFi side. And I think you're right. I think, like, when it comes to NFTs, blockchain gaming, you know, a little bit more maybe, like, low 
risk low value items. I think yeah, like the the BSCs, like the the Maddocks and and maybe layer twos will win out on that. So yeah, that's pretty much what you said there. Just like maybe like little 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 differences there. Yeah, that's what I think. So what cool. el- what else are you looking at in the space? Like what other types of DeFi or metaverse protocols are you looking at that are kind of catching your eye right now that are just kind of like up and coming? Interesting question. I'm still like spend most of my time like in DeFi. There are actually a lot of like new projects like working on, we work with actually building on top of us, you know, building this, all these uh, structured products or like a uh, new trading strategy on chain. I think that's actually pretty cool. And uh, also, uh, I don't know if you heard of uh, Gearbox. So Gearbox, they, so I mentioned that uh, we want to be a place that the people can take leverage. So, you know, like perpetual, I mean, swap uh, contract is actually really good to, if you want leverage, it's actually the most efficient way. But at the same time, Gearbox they actually create a way that uh, you can actually share the leverage. I mean, between the protocols, like between Uniswap and Compound or other things. So I think that's also really cool as well. So yeah, I mean, like uh, DeFi. I mean, like um, I know people talking about DeFi, like DeFi to go or something like that. But it's actually going into another stage that you know they are actually much many more like projects trying to you know like build on top of each other's i mean than before so i think that's really exciting i mean that's like the best thing about DeFi in general is the composability and and people being able to build projects that are calling other protocol functions and that's that that's where the true innovation lies and i think that's kind of Mm -hmm. that's that's the DeFi 2.0 definition do you consider no. yourselves to be DeFi 2.0? <laughs> I actually don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not sure. I mean, like, the, I think people actually project, you know, at their expectation on 2.0. So somebody, somebody feel that it's actually permissionless. Somebody feel that it's, you know, like protocol-owned securities. You know, like, we are permissionless. I mean, we have some, like, protocol control value. We have some, I mean, like, other things. So I'm not sure if we are, but I do feel that uh, you know the community is just. I mean, it's definitely more composable than before. If you actually look at like the V model, I think that's really fascinating. I mean, like uh, you know, like Curve have this token model, and then you can build like uh, you know convex on top of it, and then you can actually build on top other projects on top of others tokenomic. I think that's really cool. Yeah, when I interviewed Scoopy Truple from Alchemex, he said that that was kind of their strategy was to be the they want to be at the very top, right? That that's they want to be the, <laughs> at the very top of the stack, which I thought was an interesting thing to say. What were your thoughts on Andre leaving the the DeFi in, in crypto space? That actually created lots of impact, I think, because they were doing so well on Fenton. I mean. Uh, Andre is just a master brand. I mean, like they, you know, he keep pumping up out a lot of like, new things. I really like like the new V three three or like the 
solidly like like tokenomic design. I think that's um, you know that's just another level. But you know, um, I'm not really close to them. I talked to him like uh, several times, but uh, not really close. And uh, yeah, it's really sad to see him. I mean, like actually leaving the space. Although I don't, you know, I I don't really think he 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 actually left. I mean, like he probably just you know tried to be anonymous. I think. Yeah, that was kind of my theory too. You know, I was like, can you really leave this space after you get started? I, yeah. I don't know if you can. He probably just has like a couple burner accounts that he's going to use on Twitter and he just wants to build and be a developer in the shadows. That's that's my theory, the conspiracy theory yeah. behind that. Um, yeah, I, actually, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, we will see like a really, really like a great, like uh, anonymous like coder in the near future. <laughs> And it's going to be him. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> so, yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to, to touch on that, that we didn't get a, a chance to talk about, Yemen? Sure. Uh, I, I, I do want to mention that uh, we are actually working on a really cool feature. It's called uh, Market Collateral. So, right now, I mean, like, if I mean, most of the debts or century change, if you want to trade, uh, trade a perpetual contract, you you know, most of the case, you deposit USDC or USDT. And then the profit, uh, of course, I mean, the profit loss, I mean, are denominated by USDC. With market capital that we are building right now, I mean, it will be launched really soon. It actually enable you to deposit, I mean, other tokens, for example, ETH, or like maybe like Avalanche token. And then you can actually use that as a collateral and trade against that. So one of the way you can do this is like you can do basic trade. You deposit you know, ETH token and then you show ETH. So you don't have market risk. But uh, you might earn funding payment if the funding is actually, is actually positive. So you can earn funding payment. So that's, um, that's just one of the ways that you can utilize it. But uh, I think it's really cool. With this, we actually can have like interest, like bearing tokens, like, you know, like, uh, C USDC or like the CUST or AUST as a collateral, which actually, you know, like you can put like a, you know, a, a token, I mean, like a, a token that actually only interest, I mean, like uh, on top of it. And also at the same time, you can use that as a collateral and a trade. So I think that's a really cool feature. Yeah, that sounds like a great feature. That way your collateral can earn you money while it's yeah. earning you more money, I guess. Yeah, earning money <laughs> twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, variety is <laughs> the spice of life. So that's, I, you know, I, I love that you're adding those new features. That sounds awesome. So, uh, yeah, cool. Yenwen, this has been great. Uh, we're running up on time here a little bit. But, uh, yeah, why don't you just, you know, let everyone know where can people go to find out more about you and Perpetual Protocol. You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is TempoFeng, T-E-M-P-O-F-E-N-G. That's uh, if you want to like get in touch with me, please just DM me. Our project is perp.com, P-E-R-P.com. You can go to our uh, website. There are, you, if you want to join community, there are links to our Discord, link to our Telegram. I mean, like if you have anything, I mean, feel free to, you know, just join the community as us there. Happy to like chat with you and or provide any like, um, you know, like answers to your questions. 
All right. Yinwen, thanks for sharing. What time is it over there, by the way? It's actually 10 in the morning. 10 in the morning. All right. Well, Yinwen, it's it's 8 p.m. where I am. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. For everyone else listening live, this is being recorded and we will get this out in about a week. Uh, have a great rest of your day, Yinwen, and have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. So thanks for having me. Yep. Take care.